This is Dr. Jimmy Nichols, equine nutritionist. On this podcast, we will explore unique cases, debunk popular myths, and break down advanced research data. Join me for a little fun, a lot of science, and some real-world advice for feeding horses. Welcome to episode 127. It is Dr. Jimmy. I had a lot of fun last week presenting and answering questions at the 2023 Equus Summit. So for those of you who are not aware, that was a virtual conference that was available to horse owners who wanted to learn more about equine nutrition in general. There were two evening sessions with presenters that included PhD equine nutritionists, veterinarians, and researchers. Each presenter was given the opportunity to answer questions from the live audience, and then there was also a social hour breakout where you could continue the conversation on a more one-on-one basis. So it was really fun to meet some of the Feed Room Chemist listeners during that social hour, and I really appreciate all of you who listened and those of you who joined in during the presentation live, and then also those that came to the social hours. So it was fun to kind of put faces uh, with names and and get to sort of meet some of the listeners um, as well as you can meet someone virtually at least. So there were some questions, though, at the live event around sugars, fructans, um, NSC values. So this episode is a follow-up to help kind of further explain and address some of those questions and concepts. But before we get started, this is your friendly reminder to share this podcast with your friends. Go follow the Dr. Jimmy social channels, Facebook, Instagram. You can find them by searching Dr. Jimmy Equine Nutritionist, or you can just type in my handle, which is at Dr. Jimmy, and that's spelled D-R-J-Y-M-E. And then if you happen to miss the Equisummit conference, you are still in luck. So everything was recorded and it is available on demand. And the best part is that due to the generous support of a lot of sponsors, the event is being offered free to you, anybody. Honestly, this is an amazing opportunity to go hear some excellent information from some very qualified and credentialed speakers. So if you were to attend this kind of conference in person, you would be looking at shelling out, I mean, hundreds of dollars just in, you know, registration fees and transportation, hotels, meals, plus dealing with all the things that go along with being away from home and being away from your horses and being away from your family, right? So the fact that you can get the same information from the comfort of your own home or your own barn at absolutely no charge is really, really amazing. So big shout out to all of the sponsors who made Equisummit happen for the third year in a row now. I will drop a link in the show notes um, so you can go sign up and then access everything if you happen to miss it. All right, let's get on with the show. I wanted to do an episode specifically on sugar because there's a lot more to sugar than people realize. So, you know, I see it a lot. Feed is being promoted as low sugar. And in all honesty, that's about as descriptive as saying, I have a horse for sale, right? I mean, like if someone says they have a horse for sale, I want to know, is the horse old or young? Is it a mare or a gilding? Can you ride it? Does it have any training? Is it a pony? Is it a draft? Is it a warm blood? Is it a quarter? Like, what color is it? How does it behave? What are the quirks? Where are the holes? Like, let's just say I'm not going to just go buy any old horse, right? They have to fit exactly what I am wanting. Now, I'm using that example to help me kind of frame up 
why we shouldn't just settle for a feed or a forage that we have been told is, quote, low sugar. If someone approached me and said, I have a low sugar feed that you should use, the first thing I'm going to ask is, exactly what is the starch and sugar content? And when they tell me a sugar percentage, the next thing I'm probably going to ask is whether that number was an ESC or a WSC number. Let me back up just a second and explain those two acronyms. ESC stands for Ethanol Soluble Carbohydrates. And it's a value that you will see on the analysis that you get back of your hay or of your grain. So ESC consists of glucose, fructose, sucrose, basically your simple sugars. WSC stands for water soluble carbohydrates. And that number consists of those same simple sugars that made up the ESC plus something called fructan. Okay. Now the main difference between ESC and WSC is whether or not fructan is included. So fructan is included in WSC. Fructan is not included in ESC. So if you wanted to estimate the fructan value of something, all you have to do is subtract ESC from WSC. And the difference between those two values represents the percent of fructan in the sample that was tested. I get it. A lot of you are probably thinking, who cares if it's ESC or WSC isn't sugar sugar? Well, kind of. But the reason that we separate them out is because there is a difference in where the components are digested. So the simple sugars, those that represent all of the ESC number and then part of the WSC number, okay, all of those simple sugars are quickly and easily digested in the small intestine. Those simple sugars have a direct impact on blood glucose after you eat a meal or after your horse eats a meal and those simple sugars are going to directly influence the glycemic response, okay? Fructans, which as a reminder, are the other part of the WSC number, they're kind of a different animal. So fructans are not digested in the small intestine like simple sugars. Instead, fructans are complex carbohydrates that pass through the foregut undigested and they end up in the hindgut. Once they are in the hindgut, they're quickly fermented by um, these bacteria uh, the gram-positive bacteria specifically, and the end product is lactic acid. So while we're on the topic of lactic acid, I also want to call out starch, which is another piece of the non-structural carbohydrate puzzle, okay? Starch is a complex polysaccharide carbohydrate, meaning it just has multiple sugar molecules all bonded together. So normally starch is digested in the small intestine. However, if large amounts of starch are consumed, or if there's an inefficiency, let's say, in the digestive function, starch can actually spill over into the hindgut where it is fermented and creates more lactic acid. Now I bring this up because lactic acid in the horse's diet in large amounts can have a pretty dramatic impact on the pH of the hindgut. Um, it lowers the pH, meaning it makes it more acidic. And that condition is called acidosis. And that acidic state can be very harmful to the microbial communities that live within the gut. Now, the good bacteria cannot survive 
at those low pH levels. So it gives this advantage to the bad bacteria. I, so when I'm thinking about this, I kind of mentally separate acidosis into two categories. So one category I consider like acute acidosis, and then the second category I consider more chronic low-grade acidosis. Now, acute acidosis would be like if your horse broke into the feed room and ate a 50-pound bag of oats, that's a problem because large amounts of starch are going to be spilling over into the hindgut. They're not, you can't, a horse can't digest and absorb 50 pounds of oats and the amount of starch that is in that. So that starch is spilling over to the hindgut. It's going to cause a very sharp drop in pH, which um, damages the microbial populations. It can weaken the intestinal barrier. Um, and if, 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 it, if you have a weakened or a leaky intestinal barrier, that's going to allow endotoxins into the bloodstream. And then when those endotoxins are in the bloodstream, they can then circulate to the hoof and that can cause sudden acute laminitis or founder. Now, this is all a very quick and intense event. That's why I consider this category the acute acidosis category. Now, on the other hand, chronic low-grade acidosis is not a sudden event and the drop in pH um, in that situation is not going to be nearly as dramatic, but the problem here is that good bacteria thrive within a certain pH range. And when you walk the line of being slightly below that ideal range, dysbiosis can occur. Or in other words, the microbial populations that live within that gut can become imbalanced. Now, this isn't going to be you know, it's not a 911 situation like acute acidosis, um, but it can lead to problems that kind of creep in over time. So this is where leaky gut syndrome may start to develop, right? You might notice diarrhea or loose kind of cow patty type poop piles, especially if your horse is dealing with a little bit of stress. Um, you might notice some decreases in visual appearance, maybe a reduced athletic performance or a poor attitude, um, maybe some heightened allergic responses, or it could be as simple as just unwillingness to respond to cues that, you know, your horse used to be um, good at, that, you know, things that used to be really simple and easy. So those are kind of, um, you know, think of, I kind of think of these as like your horses that just quote, you know, aren't doing right. And you and your vet might be struggling to figure out what is wrong with these horses. Now, if I am working with a horse that has those types of symptoms, right, that chronic um, low-grade acidosis type of symptoms that I just described, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind as I take a look at the contents of the diet. Now, when I look at the diet, I'm looking at both the grain and the forage, okay? If those visual signs are there, and then let's say I go look at the diet and the horse is getting uh, six pounds of oats plus pasture turnout. And, you know, when they get pulled in, they then get orchard grass or Timothy hay. I'm going to say, okay, <laughs> we really need to rein in the total diet NSC a little bit because there's probably a pretty good chance that those starches and sugars are not getting properly digested where they should be. And we may have some, some spillage into the hindgut, which is causing um, or maybe causing an acidic environment which if that's happening would be killing off the good microbes and then setting up um, a situation that allows those bad microbes to take over. Now, if I'm working specifically with a horse that has been diagnosed as um, insulin resistant or has an endocrine disease, 
in that situation, I am going to really hone in on the things that impact the glycemic index, uh, meaning starch and ESC. And so as a reminder, ESC represents just the, the simple sugars. Now, because ESC is a subset of WSC, the ESC number will always be lower than the WSC, okay? So if the percent NSC, meaning the percent non-structural carbohydrate number, is already at an acceptably low amount, I'm not really gaining that much by finding out what the exact ESC number is, unless I just wanna calculate that amount of fructan. So the reason I say that is many times it can be hard to get your hands on an ESC number. So you might have to rely on the NSC value um, that you do have access to. So just remember NSC equals starch plus WSC. Um, or another way you could say that is NSC equals starch plus ESC plus fructans. Okay, so the NSC number encompasses all of it. ESC, WSC, starch, right? Fructans, like it's all part of the NSC number. Now you are almost always, quote, safe. I, I, I hesitate to use the word safe, um, but you are almost always safe on a metabolic course if you keep your NSC number at 10% dry matter um, or less or 12% uh, as fed, okay? So the reason for that is because like I said earlier, NSC is going to overestimate the value just a tick since it's including that fructan content, right? Now, the drawback to using the slightly inflated NSC number is that you might actually end up overlooking a hay that could really be safe for an IR horse or a horse with an endocrine disease. So basically meaning that like a small percentage of fructan um, is in there and it might be pushing that total NSC number up over the threshold. Um, it's not actually the starches or the simple sugars that are pushing that number. So if it is just the fructan that's pushing that number, that, that hay might actually be okay to go ahead and feed to your IR horse. Um, but that can, it's just, it's such a fine line. And I really recommend that you work with a nutritionist um, if you are kind of dancing and balancing on that, that edge. Now, I also want to be very clear that you have to consider the entire diet when you're looking at sugar in total NSC values, right? It does absolutely no good to go select a grain or a ration balancer with a low NSC and then let your horse go chow down on pasture grass or have full-time access to the to a high NSC grass hay. Okay, that completely defeats the purpose. And unfortunately, I see it happen all the time. Someone will give me all the details about, you know, they've they've made completely sure that the supplements and the ration balancers or the feed, all of whatever they're using is under 10% NSC. But then when I ask what they're given for forage, they're like, oh, they just get grass hay um, and I haven't tested it. <laughs> so, you know, here's the deal. Grass hay, grass pasture, that's where your biggest risk lies for, for these horses, okay? That's, there's a lot of sugar that can be in there. Grass, particularly quick growing grass or grass that is under drought stress is going to have a higher NSC content. And then to take it a step deeper, the cool season grass species are going to have higher NSCs than warm season species, okay? So examples of warm season species would be like your Bermuda grass, Bahia grass. Examples of cool season species 
um, which are going to have the higher NSC contents, are going to pack more sugar. Uh, those would be things like ryegrass, timothy, brome, orchard grass, you know, basically anything that's growing in those cooler climates. Now, I will often recommend a sugar-sensitive horse go on alfalfa before I will put them on a cool season grass hay. And it's just because of the way that cool season grasses store their sugar. So there's basically no limit to how much a cool season grass can accumulate. Whereas with alfalfa and with warm season grasses, um, the accumulation of sugar is limited by the plant's physiology, right? But the only, like I repeat, the only surefire way to know what you have in your hay, how much sugar, how much starch is in your hay is to test, okay? please send it off for lab analysis. If you need a recommendation on what lab to use, my personal favorite is Equa Analytical. Their website is equa-analytical.com. Fantastic. They report values in horse numbers. They have a huge database you can compare your results to. Lots of information on their website. Highly recommend it. Now, let's say you get stuck with a load of hay that is two or 3% too high on your NSC levels. Now, you can soak it to leach out some of that sugar, but keep in mind, a 30 to 60 minute soak is only going to remove around two to 3% of sugar. So your wiggle room on a high NSC hay is really not that big. So don't go thinking that you can leach out like five or 6% sugar because, um, you know, the research that's been done just shows that that, that much leaching, that, that much of a sugar reduction is just not likely to happen. Now, a question was brought up specifically by um, some listeners, and they were wondering why there seems to be some level of controversy over the importance or the unimportance of fructans in the diet. Now, I'm certainly not claiming to be an expert in this area, but I'm going to do my best to try and explain um, kind of what's going on here. So. Researchers in the early 2000s were very interested in trying to figure out more about um, horses who were developing laminitis when they got turned out onto green pasture, okay? They understood that pasture grasses contained simple sugars, starches, and fructans, and they decided to try to isolate out fructans and investigate um, whether or not maybe that component alone had the potential to create laminitis if it was consumed in large amounts. So that's kind of the way research works. Like you try to isolate out one thing at a time so that you can figure out which, what is having the impact. Well, it turns out when they fed large amounts of fructans by themselves kind of in isolation, it, it did have an impact on creating laminitis in horses. So when they administered fructan from pure chicory root, they were able to actually cause laminitis in horses. So it became a published, let's call it a quote, published fact, right? Um, it's published data that there is a connection between fructan content and laminitis, okay? That's what that group of researchers found. Now, the only problem here was that the amount of pure chicory root fructan that was given to cause this laminitis uh, was just not a very realistic value. For perspective, um, they administered over eight pounds of pure fructan through a stomach tube for the study. 
it is nearly impossible for a horse to consume that much fructan in, you know, a 24 hour period of time, just from grazing pasture, because, um, most pasture grasses are just not that concentrated in fructan. Okay. So let's fast forward just a little bit. Um, in 2007, a study was published on ponies that had a history of laminitis. So these researchers fed a lower amount of fructan in the form of inulin uh, to a group of ponies with one group had laminitis or had a history of laminitis. They didn't have active laminitis, um, but they had a history of laminitis. And then they fed it also to a control group, which had no history of laminitis. The results showed that the group that was predisposed to laminitis, okay, so those that had the history of it, had significant increases in insulin concentrations after they consumed those fructans. In fact, those predisposed ponies had a five and a half fold increase in insulin concentrations after eating that fructan compared to just a two-fold increase in the control ponies. So that was a very statistically significant difference. The p-value was less than 0.001. For perspective, <laughs> those ponies were given approximately 330 grams at three different feeding times of the fructan. That's about, so for those of you who aren't good at converting grams to pounds, that's about three quarters of a pound of fructan at each feeding. And if I did my math rate based on the weight of those ponies in that study, um, that would be about the equivalent to them eating a forage that contained 15% fructan content. Certainly not impossible. Um, I mean, like the reported ranges of fructan content in grass can range anywhere from 3% all the way up to like 44%, depending on the particular plant species. So it wouldn't be um, out of um, the realm of possibility for horses to, to be on forage that contain 15% fructan, um, but it may not be super common for most of the typical forages that our horses are grazing. And now to prove the point that you can find research to defend almost any point you want to make, there's also a 2016 study uh, that shows that feeding fructans in the form of inulin does not have an influence on glucose or insulin concentrations in normal or laminated courses. Now, my view of why there is confusion or possibly even a little controversy around fructan is because um, there's kind of this natural, well, not kind of, there is a natural overlap of how horses consume both fructans and sugars. So cool season grasses contain fructans, but cool season grasses also naturally contain sugars and are naturally higher in sugars. So you can't separate the fructan from the sugar in your pasture, right? If you get one, you get both. It's well understood that sugars have a direct impact on glycemic response. But research also shows that fructan can impact the insulin response. Okay, so, so you've got basically simple sugars are causing spikes in blood glucose. And then we've got other research that is showing that fructans are causing increases in insulin. Okay, so depending which study let's call it, let's say, let's say depending on which study is freshest in someone's mind, they might lean harder on avoiding fructan in the grasses. Um, if someone has been nose deep in reading scientific studies on, you know, the glycemic response, those people are probably going to be leaning a little bit harder on avoiding simple sugars. So no matter which theoretical camp you are in, 
the what you do is the same, but the why you do it is what's up for debate. Okay, so both camps are going to tell you to limit green grass and offer forages with low non-structural carbohydrate values. Let me maybe try to take this in a different direction to hopefully help make my point in case it's not clear yet. So I think that you know, most everyone would agree that only certain horses are going to develop laminitis when turned out on green grass, right? There are many horses that are living their best life out in pastures as lush as they come and they, they have never taken a single lame step, okay? If fructan or even if sugar were the root cause of laminitis, then all horses eating grass would develop laminitis, but they don't. Okay, that means something else has to be going on first within the body to create a predisposition. So something else has to, quote, load the gun, so to speak. Sugar or fructans may pull the trigger, but a pulled trigger doesn't do any harm to anything if that gun is not cocked and loaded, right? So that said, the, the root of the issue is going to ultimately lie within an individual horse's physiology, right? They first have to have some kind of predisposition to a metabolic condition, or they have to have some kind of endocrine disorder that is altering how their body responds to sugars or to fructans. But at the end of the day, the recommendation should still be to limit green grass in these horses, right? So, um, you know, keep in mind that I'm not talking about every horse like no I'm, I'm not saying that no horse should be on green grass that's not what i'm saying i'm just i'm just kind of getting into the weeds here for those people who truly have horses with endocrine disorders metabolic diseases sugar sensitivities um that's that's what i'm talking about here when i say get them off the green grass um if your horse does not have a metabolic predisposition if your horse is not cushing's if your horse is not insulin resistant if your horse has no known sugar sensitivities then you're okay to turn them out on pasture right they will thank you for it <laughs> the risk in in these horses is um, so like what you do need to be careful about in a quote, normal horse, turning them out on pasture is that you don't do it suddenly, right? So if you were to take a, a horse from a hay only diet and then kick them out on green grass all, you know, just suddenly one day, um, you run the risk of causing acidosis in the hind gut. Now it could be acute acidosis. It could be low grade chronic acidosis. You're probably going to notice, a uh, a little bit of diarrhea and a loose stool. Um, they might have a little bit of a sloppy tail. Um, so that's that's part of the reason why that's happening is you have just shocked the microbial environment in that hind gut. Okay, and then if you are feeding uh, very large amounts of a high NSC grain, you are also putting your horse at risk of having chronic low-grade acidosis okay so the horse's stomach is small right so you know if you're feeding five six seven pounds at a time of you know a sweet feed or corn or oats or barley um, that's a lot of starch to be pushing at the horse at one time and they are going to struggle to get all of that starch broken down and digested in the small intestine. You are going to very likely cause some starch overflow or spill over into that hindgut and um, cause a little bit of low-grade acidosis. Last thing, 
And this refers to the, the 12% NSC that I keep bringing up. Okay, that number is only for horses that have a true metabolic need. If you have a normal horse with no endocrine disorders, you are safe to go higher than that, okay? You do not, don't feel like you have to find um, a hay or a feed or anything that is 10% NSC or 12% NSC, right? You can go higher. In fact, there are all kinds of 12 to 15% NSC grass hays out there that are amazing for a large number of horses. And there are some very safe and effective feeds that are up in the 15, um, 15 even to 22% range of NSC, okay? It really all comes down to what you are doing with your horse, what their needs are, and how concentrated your feeding rates are or how concentrated you want your feeding rates to be, okay? So there is no magic um, number. There's no blanket statement I can give you here. Um, you really need to read analysis, read your feed tags. Um, and on that note, if you are just flat confused <laughs> about how to do all of that or what is best for your horse, you can always reach out for a free nutrition consult with the team at Blue Bonnet Feeds. Okay, so I personally conduct continuing education training with those consultants on a weekly basis. Um, and they can help you interpret your hay analysis and they can just give you some general direction on what you need to be looking at um, in terms of hay that, or even grain that will fit the specific needs of your horses. So I will post uh, this episode on the social media channels and uh, feel free to join me over there. Drop some comments. Um, if there's anything that you learned, I'm sure there's plenty of um, additional research that can be pulled and links that can be dropped. I, I only highlighted a few um, in this particular episode. I dropped some research links actually in the show notes as well um, if anybody's interested in, in going and reading some of those studies. But there's a lot out there, um, especially around the fructan and, and um you know, the simple sugars and the fructan contents and what's best and what causes laminitis and what doesn't, you know, there's just, there's a lot of research around there. Um, and so part of it is just taking all of these puzzle pieces and making sure that we try to look at them um, as one whole puzzle and we're not cherry picking the pieces that we like best and talking only about those. So, you know, like any good research, there's going to be contradicting points. And so I think it's important that we look at both sides because there's probably a little bit of um, truth and a little bit of um, maybe misdirection in both sides. And so um, I just think it's important for us to be aware of what the different aspects are that are being uncovered in the research so that we can continue to move on, move forward, um, and develop in our theories and in our thinking process around how we handle these horses. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Feed Room Chemist. If you like what you hear, be sure to share with your friends, post to social media, or give us a review. And as Winston Churchill used to say, no hour of life is wasted that is spent in the saddle. So go saddle up.